David Flint, and this is Take Back Your Country. Now as the dust is settling and it looks as though the rigors of the pandemic are drawing to a close and the country is reopening, both internally and to the world, it's time surely to look at a very important issue, and that is how to conduct a government in an emergency. And right back to the ancient Romans, men and women have thought about this and thought about ways to make sure that during an emergency, you have efficient government, but you have government which remains constitutional. And there's an eternal truth which applies to all government and all situations at all times because men are not angels, as one of the great American founders said. If men were angels, you would need no government, no constitution, because everything would be done properly. But because men are not angels, we need government, we also need controls on that government. There's an eternal truth which comes from Henry Acton, Lord Acton, the British historian, who famously said that power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And in our system, in the English-speaking world, there's always been a revulsion against absolute government. That was the whole cause of the long conflict between the Stuart kings and the Parliament, the tendency of the kings to want to establish in England an absolute monarchy like that in France. And that finally was settled in 1688 in the glorious revolution when the crown was transferred from James II to William and Mary, who signed uh, the Petition of Rights, the, the Bill of Rights, which established in England the first form of constitutional monarchy. And what the English discovered there, and previously, but particularly there, and it was taken over into America, is the importance of checks and balances on power and the importance of the separation of powers, particularly the separation of the judicial power, the courts, from the government and from the parliament. What we've effectively established is a good system, and that continued into the British colonies, separation of powers, checks and balances on power, so that the situation in the Australian colonies, even before federation, was that you had two houses of parliament exercising as a check on one and the other, and as well, you had the governor exercising the powers of the king or queen as the constitutional guardian. On the proposition, in our present system, that the crown is important not for the powers it wields, but for the powers it denies others. That ministers have to come to the crown to request the crown, the governor, to act rather than having those powers themselves. And this is how it has long worked, so much so 
that we have a system in which legislation is made in the two houses of parliament. You have to exempt Queensland because although the Queenslanders decided that they didn't want to get rid of the upper house and they decided that in a referendum, the politicians still managed in the early part of the 20th century to get rid of the upper house, which is a reckless position in Queensland, not replicated in any of the other states or at the Commonwealth level. So laws are made in the two houses of parliament and then the royal assent is given by the governor or the governor general, provided that all of the I's have been dotted and the T's crossed. Now, everything can't be put into an act of parliament. So a considerable amount of what is to happen in the form of regulations or in the form of orders, decisions by the executive government, are contained in what is called delegated legislation. So the legislation is made and it provides for the executive to do certain things. And we've developed a practice in Australia, and it's reflected in all of the other former British colonies, that when you want to exercise the power to delegate legislation, to make regulations or orders, this was very important in relation to the virus, this is done by going to the governor in council, the executive council, and for the ministers to present a case as to why the governor should exercise his or her powers. Now, the governor will normally do what the ministers advise. But the role of the governor is to see or to be assured that he, in fact, has that power, which the ministers say he has. And if there are any conditions on the exercise of that power, that those conditions have been fulfilled. It's a very proper process. But then, because this is like legislation, it can be as powerful as legislation, the practice has developed in Australia that you then table the regulations or the order in both houses, and both houses can debate them, and very importantly, either house can disallow the regulations or the order. Because if it had been basic legislation, that house would have had to have been involved. They're not, we're not prepared, or we weren't prepared, to hand over vast powers to the executive government. Now, regretfully, a lot of that has been whittled away, and too much power has been put in legislation granted directly to ministers. What we should be aiming for is to go back to that old system, we had some extraordinary decisions made in relation to the pandemic. For example, in New South Wales, it was suddenly decided, it seems the Premier decided that during the lockdown, that the whole construction industry would be closed down. And that went on for two weeks. People were told they couldn't move from their, from their municipalities or shires and people couldn't work in the construction industry. Now that cost $1.4 billion when Premier Berejiklian decided that. 
And it was effected not by an act of parliament. It was effected without any discussion in parliament. It was just done by Minister Hazard signing a document in his office and putting it in the government gazette. Extraordinary power. And the question is, was it justified under the health legislation? Well, Dr. Chant, the government's medical officer, said that she gave no advice. There was no health advice saying that the construction industry should be closed down. And there are numerous other examples, even lockdowns themselves, the closing of state borders, and many other things which were done without going to the Executive Council, without the governor being assured that there was a power to do what was proposed. And there may be no power. A court may subsequently find there's no power in those circumstances to close down the construction industry. All of this is being done almost like a dictatorship rather than a democracy. And remember, two things. Firstly, they normally had to go to the Executive Council and seek the approval of the Governor to see that all things are in order. And then the delegated legislation would be tabled in both house, houses, with either house, particularly the upper house, having the power to disallow it if the upper house thought it went too far. Now, governments rarely have a majority in the upper house, so they have to be careful in that regard. But had it been legislation, they would have had to put it through the upper house. This, by a series of checks and balances, makes sure that we're not turning into a dictatorship, that governments are not just exercising powers for the sake of doing it. Power is a, an addiction, you know. It's been proven that power is an addiction, as I remember you, the, the saying of Acton. Power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. We can't give governments absolute power. So Australians for Constitutional Monarchy, the organisation that uh, went to the 1999 referendum saying that uh, the Republic on offer had serious, there were serious doubts about it. It was defective. We pointed out, for example, it was the only Republic in, the, not only in the world, in history, in which the Prime Minister could sack the President, the President being the Constitutional Guardian, the Prime Minister could sack the President without notice, without any grounds, no reasons, and without any right of appeal. doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. And that was the Turnbull design for a Republic. So we challenged that, and our allies challenged that, and we said this is not good enough. It Many of us strongly supported the constitutional monarchy, but we did say that if Australians were to become a republic, it had to be done properly. We couldn't have the sort of republic that Mr. Turnbull was proposing, rather like his submarines, I suppose. In any event, what Australia's constitutional monarchy has done is we've decided to look into this. 
and we sought an opinion from an eminent lawyer, Mr. Kenneth Handley QC. He was a former judge of the New South Wales Court of Appeal, such a good judge. He was also a judge of a number of Commonwealth courts, courts in other Commonwealth countries, including Kiribati, Fiji and Tonga, where he was asked to sit on those courts because of his judicial qualities. He's a very competent judge and his judgments, one of his judgments I was reading was followed in the English courts because it was so good in law. An excellent lawyer. His opinion has been sought and he's given an opinion on this, which supports the view that we should be returning to re-establishing checks and balances. And you can find that on the website of Australians for Constitution, which is, and I'm just checking, norepublic.com.au. No Republic, one word, .com.au. And we'll be having a conference on this, the conference, which we hope can be streamed so people can look at it either immediately or in the recording. And that will be on Monday, the 6th of December in Sydney. Details of that will be appearing on our website and we'll be having some very good speakers on this. Uh, Tony Abbott and uh, Alan Jones, for example, will be speaking. So it will be an important time and a time to suggest to the nation we should be really looking at this question of proper constitutional government in emergencies. Because this is not the last emergency we've been in. We've been in others, we've been in wars, and never previously have we allowed a situation to arise where governments seem to have almost dictatorial powers. I'm David Flint, and this is Take Back Your Country. I thank you for watching.